0: Yeah, like the rotten egg sulfur is what yeah. you kind of smell smells like, but I don't think so. I think it's like the burnt match smell, which is a much sexier like denouement smell, if you know what oh, I mean. Oh, it is very
1: denouement. Yeah,
0: yeah. It smells like I just came a little bit, <laughs> and maybe not even a little, maybe like a lot. Yeah. I love that smell. I do too. Imagine a candle that smells mm. like a match after it's done burning. Oh my God. Fucking fill my house with it. I like that you put a napkin on your lap. Sometimes things get messy between us Megan. <laughs>
1: I want to be prepared.
0: <laughs> oh my god, I'm so pleased that there are candles. Oh, I'm so glad. If I had known, I would have like stacked the whole domicile with more candles. I had no idea. You have been really, inside really...
1: my home and I'm surprised you haven't noticed the enormous amount of candles. I you know, have. it's
0: because you don't light them all at once. You're really strategic. They're never oppressive. I don't feel like I'm walking into like a Martha Stewart Pinterest page ever.
1: That breaks my heart because that's what I wish she felt like. I always say that my main decorating inspiration is the interview background on Behind the Music interviews. (laughs)
0: <laughs> see I just think you're classier than that like you're stepped up from what that is which is like I don't know if like, I
1: could afford six foot tall pillars mm-hmm. throughout my home
0: mm-hmm. I would so what you're telling me is that for Christmas I should get you a Yankee Candle subscription I don't like Yankee Candles
1: why yeah yeah I just think I'm better than that my favorite candle brand is Waxman Candles based mm-hmm. out of Lawrence Kansas but mm-hmm. there is a store I think in Entwater
0: I think in your neighborhood <gasps> ah, there are a lot of candle stores in my neighborhood I'm not gonna gonna lie like it's uh, true Edgewater's kind of like candle crazy i
1: know another one of my favorite brands edgewater
0: candles yes they're so good i got some at the edgewater fest just a few weeks ago buy local candles buy local candles buy a lot of them i i guess if you are like morgan and want to be like a post prison martha stewart
1: post prison martha stewart when she really started to appreciate candlelight it's true all right, You're are ready? you ready for this one? I don't know if I am, but let You let's can't do put it off any longer. Let's okay, do let's it. do it. Let's do it. <gasps> <sighs> Ooh, is that a shiver? It
0: is. Fittingly. You know what we're
1: doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome to Womance.
0: I'm Isabel. And I'm
1: Morgan.
0: And this is Womance. A
1: podcast about romance novels. About bad dudes. Devils.
0: Winter. Redheads with stutters. Deep fissures inside of the romance community itself. Bad dads. Bad dads.
1: That are actually good dads.
0: Tuberculosis, though.
1: Tuberculosis. <laughs> Tuberculosis. <laughs> Gypsy culture. Gambling dens. Uh, the friend who settles after all the others are married. <laughs>
0: Consensual sex. Question mark. Uh, but most
1: of all, this is a podcast about romance
0: novels and, more importantly, ourselves. ourselves. This week's episode, we are taking on, by the horns, Lisa Clayplass' deeply divisive... Good. Devil in Winter. I can't
1: believe that this book is so provocative given how fucking boring it is. <laughs> also, shots fired. Ugh, Jesus. <laughs> is it called Devil in Winter because they're hibernating
0: <laughs> Come on! Here's the thing, dear listeners. I don't know if you know. Lisa Claypass, lioness in her field. (laughs) She has two competing gambler series. Or two competing gambler heroes. I I want
1: to acknowledge for a moment how morning drive-time DJ I just got. (laughs) You're like a lioness (laughs) in her field. And I was like, oh god, I have to do a sound effect. You have to do the sound
0: effect. You're so good at it, though. You really perfected it with Nora Roberts. (sighs) But, like, you've really that- you've come into your own with the lioness line. <laughs> anyway, I'm really proud of you, Morgan. Thanks. I'm proud of myself. I'm so bad. But I want to, I want to lay a little groundwork. So Lisa Claypass, Lioness in her field, blah. blah. blah sound effect. Rawr. <coughs> good job. She has these two competing series. She has one called The Gamblers and then she has one called Wallflowers. And in the Wallflower series, that's where The Devil in Winter takes place. But in the other one, The Gambler series, she has this hero called Derek Craven who pulls himself up by his bootstraps, blah, 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 blah. You read it, it's apparently very good. And the fault line in romance falls right here between Derek Craven gambler owner of a poorhouse gambling den versus Sebastian St. Vincent gambling owner, poorhouse owner blah blah blah. He is on the other side of this, St. Vincent, in that he is a blue blood whose entire wealth has been piddled away by previous generations and he has to come good rather than rise to good. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the fault line as you can maybe ascertain for yourselves lies in these two gambling house owners. There's a very big craven Derek line and there's a very big St. Sebastian line. Craven means coward. It does but Derek means McDreamy. (laughs) Those of you who love. Those of you who
1: aren't familiar with
0: ancient Anglican languages. (laughs) Don't know that Derek means McDreamy.
1: Derek means McDreamy and McDreamy means of dreamy.
0: (laughs) Isn't that correct? That is correct. And Sebastian.
1: So he is of Dreamy Coward. That's of Dreaming of You uh, <gasps> by Lisa Claypath. Fitting.
0: It is actually very it's, fitting.
1: And you said apparently it's very good, but you've read
0: it. Yes, I have.
1: Is it, did you like it?
0: I think of myself as a very odd Lisa Claypath fan uh-huh. in that I find her very uneven. Mm-hmm. And the books that I like best are not best liked by the fandom. Oh, so dreaming of you is popular. It is like so. Devil and you didn't like it that much. Devil in winter and dreaming of you are very popular Lisa Claypass novels that exist on either side of the spectrum of the gambling den. Mm. My particular Lisa Clay Pass enjoyment focuses on Suddenly You, which is one of my faves. Mm-hmm. And I know that you read that one. But also Love in the Afternoon, which focuses on this particular family of weirdos. And Love in the Afternoon is about a hero who has PTSD from the uh, Napoleonic Wars. Oh. And the he- heroine uh, loves broken animals.
1: You talk about this book all
0: the time. We I should do. probably
1: talk about it on the show. It's my
0: favorite Lisa Clay Pass. Here's the thing, like, she's all over the board, so I've read the entirety of the Wallflower series which Mm -hmm. Devil and Winter comes from. Mm Devil and Winter is my least favorite of the four.
1: Devil and Winter I read on my own Mm -hmm. before I think the podcast even existed. It was like the second romance novel I read because everybody talks about how
0: good Devil and Winter is. Right. It's like the Lisa Claypass novel.
1: I found it at my local used bookstore or my Mm -hmm. former local used bookstore the Mm -hmm. Dusty Bookshelf in Lawrence, Kansas and right it was weird because the cover art was like a snowy cabin, which... Does not fit. <laughs> Does not fit. But then there was like a little sticker on the front that said the best seller for the first time in print, which is kind of a weird thing to think about. It is a
0: weird thing to think about. So I was intrigued and that's why I bought it and read it. Again, I think a lot of people find this novel. I think it is yeah. very popular inside the genre. I think it's very yeah. popular inside Lisa Claypost fandoms in particular.
1: So I found it. I read it. Mm-hmm. I shrugged. I forgot all about it. And mm-hmm. then we started this podcast and people would not stop talking about it. Yeah
0: people lose their minds about Sebastian St. Vincent.
1: I have this theory and I think I probably mentioned it in another episode that's probably aired by now but like if you got up in a bar and you're like everyone who's a fan of romance raise your hand you might get like two or three people but if you got up in a bar and said Lisa Claypas is overrated most of the bar would have an opinion suddenly.
0: I agree I think in a lot of ways Lisa Pass has become sort of a lightning rod of our times in terms of romance.
1: A lioness and a lightning rod. Yeah. Double L. Double L. She needs a
0: triple L. She's an L squared.
1: A lionting rod <laughs> yeah. in her field. <gasps> Lisa Clayposs. Lisa Clayposs. So
0: because this book is such
1: a big deal, we, we mm-hmm. thought it would be a good candidate to try something different. And if you hate this.
0: Let us know. Just don't mention it. But like maybe let us <laughs> know if you want to do it again. But like be nice about it. Please no burners. Please no burners. If y'all remember our fan fiction episode, we went through a little bit of the etiquette. So a burner is someone who just has negative things to say. Don't be that person. Don't be a burner. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to
1: spend this podcast summarizing Mm -hmm. Devil in Winter. We
0: read it so that you don't have to. And you can have an opinion that's informed, but maybe not as informed as it should be. (laughs) Yeah, you'll have a significantly
1: more informed opinion than everybody else. Than everybody else. And that way you'll be able to impress romance fans, a group you are probably desperate to impress.
0: As are we all. Oh. <laughs> because that's everyone. Let's be clear. Everyone is a romance fan. Here's the thing. Everyone loves love. I've collected this in three acts. Okay. Um, but I think we should give a little like catalog of where we are in the series because this is book three in a series of four. I have read none of the other books. Okay. The other books are way better. Chats fired.
1: I'll have to take your word for it. Please do. Which is the best one?
0: I like the second one in the series the best. Shouldn't Devil and Winter be the first one since Winter is the first season? So it's Secrets of a Summer Night, It Happened One Autumn, Devil in Winter, and Scandal in the Spring. And it's about four friends who are all having their first season and trying to get married. Two of them are American. One of them is an impoverished British person who has fallen on hard times because her father died with nothing but debts. And then our third, Devil in Winter, is also about a British person.
1: Noted British person. Noted
0: British person whose father owns a gambling hell and whose mother came from a blue-blooded family. So the thing that I need you to know about the Wallflower series by Lisa Claypass is that Secrets of a Summer Night is super, super, super good. It's about <laughs> a merchant. <laughs> Here's what it's about. Needs you to know just the facts. Just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> Secrets of a Summer Night is super so good. It's about a British person who's fallen on hard times because her father has died with all of these debts. And this terrible aristocratic asshole shows up and is like, if you have sex with me, I'll cover all of your father's bad debts. So then our 17-year-old... Who's the aristocratic asshole? I don't really remember. He's just a bad dude. Oh, he's, he's just like, a guy? He's the villain. And like this guy is like fuming at her heels. And then her mother, this is an instance of a romance novel having a good mom, steps in and says, leave my daughter alone. And then she has a sex transactional relationship with the villain (gasps) Lisa Clayposs is buck wild yeah so then the entirety of the novel focuses on how the daughter can a save her mom and save herself and it's actually really nice also, like, I don't imagine that's how most sexual transactions
1: work in the aristocracy. Like, you can't just be like, okay, <laughs> I guess I'll have sex with your mom instead. I'm really just looking to have sex with anybody. I mean, the generations so, are very whoever, short. Whoever so like,
0: steps up here is fine by me. The difference between 17 and 37 is maybe not that much well, at Well, it just moment.
1: seems weird that it would be specifically her family that he wants to bone down on. Like, They're he's very beautiful like, women.
0: I guess. Are they the two most beautiful? They're the two most beautiful. Anyway, okay. book two, <laughs> It Happened One Autumn takes place uh, in autumn, presumably. In, it does. The foliage is turning. It opens on a cricket match. Oh, do you want to hear? Sorry, fun fact. Okay. The singular
1: of foliage is foliol. Oh. So a leaf is a foliol. Oh, wow.
0: Thank you. The more you know, listeners. Shh. Anyway, the the folio are turning individually, one by one, (laughs) congregating in a
1: foliage. There's a bunch of New Englanders saying that it only counts where they live.
0: Specifically, these two Americans, the, sister, <laughs> the older sister who is teaching the local boys how to play cricket, American style, a.k.a. baseball. And then the lord of the manor sees her with her skirts all hiked up and, like, comes behind her to show her how to choke up on a cricket bat. Whoa! Yeah. It's actually, like, pretty on the nose. <laughs> it happened in Autumn is really sexy. I, there's a scene with a pear inside of Cordial that is just... I can't describe it's just mm.
1: a pear inside a cordial it sounds a lot like a Mm. raspberry
0: inside Mm. of a vaginal canal that's all I'm saying you're not that far off (laughs) anyway so at the end of it happened one autumn we have our American heiress who's in love with her earl who's a good man blah 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 pear cordial and she is absconded with St. Sebastian. Sebastian St. Vincent. Sebastian St. Vincent. Thank you. He not only threatens to rape her in the carriage, he keeps her in very tight shackles and he's taking her to Gretna Green. And the entire story of the last, you know, 45 pages of It Happened One Autumn is this attempted rape, this attempted marriage of one of the core characters of the next novel. Is he going to, is he going to force her to elope with him and then rape her? No, he's going to rape her and on the way to to the elopement. Okay. So that she can't back out of it because of okay. her honor. Okay. He's also best friends with the person that she's already in love with.
1: Yeah, so you're gonna tell me Brits are sexier than Americans? Not in this instance, certainly. Certainly not. And therefore, we can
0: conclusively say never. So, it happened one autumn, spoiler alert, ends with our hero rescuing the heroine from the end before her attempted rape. She's got bruises all over her wrist because of the shackles. And he totally knocks out Sebastian in St. Vincent who was his pal for years they went to Eton together then they oh, went to my. Oxford together and, and Oxford and now they're friends he was at his house party the whole time the house party I know you're acting like that but it was in the book it was a real betrayal
1: no I believe it's a real betrayal I just think it's very romance totally, totally India. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they were pals at Eton, and then they went to Oxford together they probably
0: were in the same rowboat they definitely were in the, the same, same rowboat <laughs> And they protected their merchant friend from bullying. That was one of the- <laughs> oh my god. Cause there are four heroes and four heroines, obviously. Anyway, so Devil in Winter <laughs> opens with Sorry. our disgrace Sebastian, <laughs> whose failed attempted rape and Mary of an American heiress has left him in further shambles, also without friends. And then How is the
1: merchant friend bullied? Were they did they call him merchanty? Your money's new.
0: <laughs> Ew. Ew. Ew, your money's
1: new. <laughs> we called him merchanty? They're like, what are you gonna do? Sell us that
0: thing? <laughs> are you gonna work Monday through Friday, you fucking nerd? <laughs> anyway, Devil in Winter opens. Get out of here, merchant pants. Mm, this is not a short pants scenario. <laughs> anyway, Devil in Winter opens. Sebastian has been shamed. He's now friendless. He's in a worse situation than he was before. And then coup d'etat, the stuttering redhead best friend of our American heiress shows up and says, you wanted to marry her for her money? Marry me for mine. Mm -hmm. And that's where this novel begins. I mean, it's like two weeks after literally it's like no time has passed. People have literally blinked. <laughs> and it's like attempted rapist let's do your recovery so um, this should not surprise fans of
1: the genre but since the first man we meet in this book is Sebastian St. Vincent and the first woman we meet is uh, Evie right they are our hero and heroine yeah. make no mistake. So Isabel has very carefully divided this book up into how many movements? Three acts. Three acts. Easy enough. We were debating between doing chapter by chapter. We thought about doing five movements. And now we are doing three acts because neither of us is a huge
0: <laughs> fan of this book. So the acts are loosely entitled <clears throat> Negging, Act 1, Male Negging. Act 2, Domination. Act 3, Happily Ever After. Very good. So, what chapters are included in Act 1? Act 1 will take us all the way up to... Chapter 10, right before her father's death.
1: First 10 chapters. Okay. You ready? Let's do it!
0: Mm -hmm. We open with... Sebastian Lord St. Vincent staring at a young woman who just barged her way into his London residence and it occurred to him that he might have tried to abduct the wrong heiress last week at Stony Cross Park. Because this one is already damp. In more ways than one. She's been out in the rain. It rains a lot in the winter. (laughs) In England. Oh. Mm -hmm. Although kidnapping had not until recently been on Sebastian's long list of villainous acts. He really should have been more clever about it.
1: Uh, It's true. He really should have been. Yeah. That's what I have to say about that. You're right, Sebastian St. Vincent. Like, SSB...
0: Is that what we're going to call him?
1: Pretty likable. So, like, I read this book without reading any of the others, and I had gone on Goodreads and got like the gist. He was a rapist, but like, reading the book, I was really perplexed by that because this first three chapters mm-hmm. does a lot of work to undo that knot.
0: Yeah, and it's like, frankly, crazy. He even says to Evie at one point, What guarantee do I have that you won't change your mind before we reach Gretner Green? Because she's already at this point on. Uh, page 17, told him that if he marries her, she'll give him half her wealth, which is not inconsiderable. And he says, what guarantee do I have that you won't change your mind before we reach Gretna Green? You know what kind of man I am, Miss Jenner. Need I remind you that I tried to abduct and ravish one of your friends last week, Evangeline. B T Dubs? I fucking love that name. Gaze shot to his, unlike his own eyes, which were a pale shade of blue, hers were dark sapphire. Did you try to rape Lillian? She asked hotly. I threatened to. And readers, it's a really, really thick threaten. Like, I was more than concerned. Would you have carried out your threat? I don't know. I never have before, but as you said, I am desperate. And like, so what you're talking about of this dismantling of this abduction, potential rape scenario that definitely and clearly happened in the book before. Yeah, they're undoing it. And if you hadn't read the book before, sure, this might even sound like rakish and sexy. But if you'd read the book before and just moved on to this one, you'd be like, fuck you, Here's the thing. I didn't think it was uh,
1: particularly sexy. I will say, though, a villain is always going to be inherently more interesting than a hero. Mm. And I think at one point in chapter two, she is explaining what her motivations are for coming to him. Which are baroquely cruel relatives trying to get her money. The Maybricks. And she feels like Sebastian Saint Vincent. I like saying his whole name altogether. It's, really it's pretty fun. Yep. Saint- Sebastian Saint Vincent is a, a worthy adversary for the Maybricks. So not only is Lisa Claypas kind of undoing some of the complications that she created in the previous novel, but she's also working to use his badness as a shorthand being someone you want to learn more
0: about you're immediately intrigued by him but also pivoting that into heroism totally his his desperation becomes a kind of toughness his desperation becomes a kind of as you say pivot point into a rough and tumble world that he's about to enter into as we learn more about evangeline not only are her terrible relations trying to keep her and make her marry her cousin who sounds terrible they're also trying to keep her away from her father who who yeah. is a gambling den owner on his last legs?
1: Yeah. So the first chapter is from Sebastian St. Vincent's perspective. Yeah. And I think negging is a very good name for this first act because as we shift between our two characters' perspectives, they kind of have like little soft spots for
0: one another, but mostly they're just like, oh, brother. Also, his negging is really, really. Specific. Me specific and mean it's about her stutter it's about her hair it's about her clothes it's about the way she enacts her personhood it's about her being a bad friend yeah like he just does not let up there's this one line that he says allowing him to remove her remaining shoe they're in the carriage to Gretna Green now they're like on the way he's agreed to her mad scheme of marrying her for her money so that she can get away from her relatives and the carriage is cold so he's being not a terrible person by rubbing her feet
1: and he also is putting like hot hot bricks and broth and and
0: stuff. stuff. So allowing him to remove her mating shoe, Evie forced herself to relax, though the brush of his fingers against her ankles sent a strange hot ripple through her. Might loosen your corset strings, he advised. It will make your journey more pleasant. I'm not wearing a c-c-corset, she said, without (laughs) looking at him. (laughs) You aren't? My God, his gaze slid over her with expert assessment. What a happily proportioned wench you are.
1: Oh, damn it. I don't like that word. internal
0: corset. Wench? Forgive me, a force of habit. I always treat ladies like wenches, and wenches like ladies.
1: And she's like, "Does that work for you?" Oh, and he's like, yes, "Yeah, you're totally." A d- 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 dreadful man. She kind of. Di- I think I got a feeling that she was being like a little. <laughs> yeah, totally. You're a dreadful man. Holy shit. I also want to point out, as they are about to start on their journey, Mm -hmm. they are delivered what is known as a basket of sandwiches. I have never heard a more appetizing phrase in my life than basket of sandwiches. A tisket, a tasket, a brisket sandwich in a basket.
0: Yeah, they're moved to Gretna Green as cold and chilling as it actually sounded because they're so moving in December. cozy. It's so cozy. He's got bricks. He's got broth. He's got this basket of stuff. He's taking care of basket it. He's rubbing her feet. He's rubbing of her hands. sandwiches. Again, and then it's like undoing all of this work of the last novel where he's a terrible shackling rapist. What's the, what's the
1: Scandinavian phrase that means cozy but more complicated than like, that? No. Because that's what this entire
0: novel is kind of the coin of the realm of this novel hug it sounds like the English word for hug Aww. Which, which is thought to have roots in making oneself snug so it's pronounced Huga Huga
1: Huga so Huga uh, this whole novel I think really depends on a couple of things I think it depends on the fact that a villain is always more interesting than a hero and that Huga is just a shortcut to romance. Indeed. You know, in Chicago, everyone gets pregnant in the winter. We mm. have that whole phenomenon of cuffing, where you've got to get someone who you're going to be romantic with for the winter.
0: It's like pre-Halloween, and then you can't break up with them until after St. Patty's Day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this novel is certainly operating on the Hugo slash Chicago winter vibe. But like, <laughs> and, like, Lisa Claypass is a really uneven writer, in the sense that, like, I hated... Sebastian Saint Vincent in the novel previous to this, but I find him ridiculously and stupidly okay. <laughs> yeah, I, here's the thing: like I think I don't like him. I think he's
1: more interesting than the average hero in one of these novels. I think he has real problems that are also strangely like grounded for this book or Lisa Claypas in general. Like he's just had relatives who spent all his fortune and he needs to get it back because he enjoys you know, the finer things. Yeah,
0: he enjoys his lifestyle. He enjoys the fact that he went to Eton. He enjoys the fact that he went to Oxford or Cambridge. He enjoys Mm. fine dining and parties and lacy cuffs. And I get that because I'm the same
1: way. I love a lacy cuff. And I won't be made to feel like a bad person because of this. No one's going
0: to make you feel like a bad person. Maybe you're not going to abduct a human being and take them to Gretna Green against their will. That's true. But Evie comes... Willingly. Mm -hmm. They get
1: hitched in Gretna Green. The charming Scotsman who weds them, the blacksmith, is not super into Sebastian St. Vincent, which, you know, kind of also reiterates that he's actually like a bad person TM because this charming, lovable person inherently dislikes him. And then we have in this first 10 chapters, we have our first sex scene. And I can't tell if it was a dream or a, a sexual assault.
0: Both which is part of the problem. <laughs> in my past, Right. So like, I-, I love that you brought up the lovable Scott preacher slash blacksmith who also makes the ring. And like, there's a real moment where Sebastian statements and doesn't have the money, but also like wants Evie to have a ring. And yeah. so like the back and forth between their two point of views is really enjoyable. And also
1: like this stuff about the ceremony that yeah. she wants to take seriously. And he's like, Oh, are you kidding me? Like being tied together. Yes. the rest, and-, and like, you can't untie. Tie it until the next morning, and I will say this is one of the more romantic-sounding wedding ceremonies that I've ever read in a romance novel. Sure, even though we had like because two... of the hoo yeah, we... there's a crackling fire, there's all these there's warm music. Scottish
0: brogues going on. Yeah, it's like it's actually strangely lovely knowing that it's a marriage of convenience and basically terrible for both of them. And then we have the sex scene. Wanna... Whoa,
1: Isabel just encountered a big patch of purple in her highlights
0: yeah i definitely did highlight this i'm trying to like contextualize it for a moment there are two sex scenes in the first yeah 10 chapters it's clay pos do you want to talk about the first one because i've highlighted the second
1: so she gets the impression that they're both too tired to have sex and she's like phew Sebastian St. Vincent has a foot thing.
0: That's right. It's never explicitly stated. Yeah, that he's a fetish, but he like really likes to rub her feet and make sure that her feet are comfortable. Oh
1: yeah, dig this. Overwhelmed with relief, Evie let out unsteady sigh. She was forced to clutch at him for balance as he pushed and loosened the gown down over her hips. He's just undressing her right now. Uh, not for romantic reasons. St. Vincent bent to untie her shoes, his broad shoulders quivering. A curious gasping, choking noise came from him. At first, Evie wondered anxiously if he had suddenly taken ill, and then she realized that he was laughing.
0: Fast forward, they have sex. And then the next night before they leave, because they spent two days, because he's not a total monster. Um, This is where he's
1: bathing her. Sorry. That's That's nice.
0: Bathing is nice. They have this like nice bathing scene. They consummate their marriage is also really nice. And it's this whole thing of emotions, which leaves Evie the next day where she's like, I can't have sex with him again because my emotions will be involved and I'll be hurt. And so she has this whole monologue the next day when he wants to have sex with her. I did find the part where I got confused if it was a dream or not
1: her dream lover whispered endearments as he embraced her her mouth playing over her throat everywhere he touched she felt a glow of sensation shall I take you he whispered don't be afraid and as uh, she shivered and held him blindly he kissed her throat and breast touched her nipples with his tongue sex 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 Evie's eyes flew open her mind reeled as she awoke in a tangle of confusion and desire the dream faded she came back to where she was and the body over hers was not that of a well spirit but of a warm living man
0: yeah they had sex and she was asleep for half of it yeah right it's a problem
1: he is a rapist yes you shouldn't have sex with people while they're asleep no you should not i can't imagine that anyone who needs to hear that is listening to our
0: podcast if but just are, in case just in case don't do it like whatever i guess she like comes to completion because like it was a well spirit and she was already there in her mind but like <laughs> whatever, what are you whatever gonna
1: do not come when there's a well spirit
0: <laughs> get serious the next day he's like i had a great time last night and And she's like, yeah, we're not going to do that again. And he's like, that's unacceptable. And she says, (laughs) unacceptable! I'm sorry, but I would prefer not to have intimate relations with you again. Stunned and offended, Sebastian set down his comb because he is fastidious. Oh yeah, and she's going to be like, it's fine if you have sex with other people. Right. But before that, women never refused him, and the fact that Evie could do so after the pleasures of this morning was difficult to comprehend. Uh, pretty sure the character in the last novel was refusing him. Uh, Yeah. Vociferously. You told me that you didn't like to bet a woman more than once you said it would be a crashing bore and he says do i look bored to you and she says i de- i suppose that depends on which part of you one is looking at i needn't remind you my lord that w- w- we had an agreement you're allowed to change your mind i won't your refusal smacks of hypocrisy pet i've already had you once does it really make any difference to your virtue if we do it again? And they will not have sex again for kind of a long time. Mm-hmm. I am not refusing you for the sake of virtue. Her stammer disappeared as she regained her composure. I have an entirely different reason. I'm all agog to hear it. Self protection. And she goes on to this whole thing where it's like, you don't have feelings when you have sex but I have feelings when I have sex with you. So I'm not going to involve my feelings. You can have other paramours. And he says, I won't apologize for my past. And is supposed to have experiences and then she says from all indications you've acquired enough for 10 men. <laughs> and he says why should that matter to you? Because your romantic history to put it politely is like that of a dog who goes to every back door on the street collecting scraps at every threshold. And I won't be one more door. You can't be faithful to one woman. You've proven that. They have sex and she's like I don't want to do
1: that again. And he's like well I want to. And she's like surprise surprise because you have a reputation for not wanting to more than once. And he was like, "I like you," and she's like, "No, you don't. I don't want to have sex with you because I, I'm deep in my feelings. I'm deep in my feelings." The sex Kiki, this morning. Do you love me? Are you writing? And he's like, "Yeah," and she's like, "No, you're not. No, you're not. You're a dirty dog. You're gonna do me like a dog." And he calls her a bitch. And he calls her a bitch. Which is but she's the- also like, "Sure, whatever. Just like have sex with whoever you want. Let's keep this professional. arrangement professional,
0: right?" So like that's why I refer to this entire first act as negging. The fact that he calls her a bitch when she's like, I don't want to have sex with you again because my feelings will be involved. Like he's constantly other than telling her to be comfortable so that she loses her stutter. And all she wants to do, she didn't want to bone him. She
1: didn't want his money or his title. He doesn't
0: have those things, just his title.
1: And she just wanted to be in a marriage that allowed her to spend time with her father in his last days. And so as we head back to London, we are specifically heading back to Ivo Jenner's Gambling house. Slash brothel was Ivo running a brothel? Yeah, he was already okay. And so they get there, and uh,
0: Sebastian Act Two domination.
1: Uh, Ivo Jenner is sick. His daughter is nursing him. He's got like a whole little chosen family happening at the gambling hell. He's got his chosen son who he's got his son who is his actual son who he's not into. Spoiler alert. He's got all sorts of stuff going on and he's dying. And so his daughter just wants to nurse her father back to health and her husband suddenly finds purpose.
0: He's dying of tuberculosis, so he has this- TB! He has this racking, terrible cough- He has these terrible fevers that leave him in terrible night sweats, and she hasn't married St. Vincent entirely to take care of her father. And so St. Vincent, like, lets her do her thing, and he wants to look at the books of this new gambling house that he's uh, suddenly been endowed with. And while he's looking over the books and looking over the hires and looking over the goods, as it were, she's nursing her father. So suddenly we see St. Vincent as not only this Lothario, but a man of calculating and
1: He was a guy who regularly visited the gambling hell. He was a patron. And Evie is constantly like, just go back to your house. Yeah, leave me alone. I'll send you whatever money you want. He's like, no. I'm going to do this. Suddenly, I give a shit. But he really suddenly gives a shit because... He is enamored with Evie and he wants to be around her slash bone her. Yeah, maybe just wants to be around her. Sure, I'm gonna give him some credit.
0: Okay, give him some credit if you must. The rapist and adopter. So here's <laughs> here's why I call this act domination. Not only does he ask for the books, but he begins firing people. He begins going through the books. He discovers that somebody's been stealing, so fire that guy. He's he is a real capitalist, sure. and this
1: book is <laughs> sopping wet for capitalism.
0: Yeah, he fires. There's... All of the women who have been employed at the brothel part of the gambling den doesn't he say like you
1: have to re-interview for your job? which is full on like a corporate raider move. Totally, and he's like,
0: (laughs) like I forgot about that. And he's like, you have to. How do you re-interview for your job, you fucking dick? And then like,
1: I don't know. I fucking done it forever. My strengths are. I know how to do it already. My weaknesses are same shit. You. Saw before, I guess. What do you want me to say?
0: And he's like, That won't cut it. Either take your services to Whitechapel, which is like the fucking den of iniquity. That's where Jack the Ripper murdered people, gang! Yeah. He's <laughs> not a good guy when it comes to women. But this is not admitting that he's a bad guy. They're like, isn't he terrible? His smart business acumen is going to turn this gambling house around. This,
1: your love of Sebastian St. Vincent is the reason Trump got elected. (laughs)
0: There it is. There it is, folks. Anyway, and the reason, the second reason why I call this act domination is because her father, who's very sick with tuberculosis, as I've already alluded to, Sebastian calls on a nurse and is like, how sick is he? And the nurse is like, he's pretty fucking sick. He's going to die in some days. And then he forbids Evie of tending her dying father's bedside because of the contagion factor.
1: Yeah, which, by the way, contagion factor at this point, as the book points out, is like pretty controversial medicine. Totally. I mean, it's right. Like, we as modern readers are like, wow, Sebastian St. Vincent, no Knows what's up right he knows you can get sick from other sick people but everyone else is like he's such a cad but once again Lisa Claypas is playing with like I don't know what you call what is hindsight and being like well you guys you readers actually know he's a good person I'm tipping you off that he's actually a good person even though
0: and it- then he reads scientific journals about like infectious disease which mm. okay mm. this fact of his
1: interest and in personalities by the this particular chicken doesn't come home to roost yeah
0: no it would have been cool if he went to become a doctor but he doesn't really he just dominates evie about not seeing her father and then she's like i'll take all the precautions i'll wash my hands i'll wear a mask i'll wear special clothes she does the whole thing and then he makes sure that she's not allowed to spend more than four hours with her dying father at any given moment and he hires Eyes to watch her. How
1: long is domination as an act? What chapter do you feel domination ends at? It
0: ends pretty much the chapter after her father dies.
1: Okay, chapter fourteen picks up right after the funeral
0: yeah I would say even into 16 why is that the point of demarcation for you because her friends are allowed back into her life and so like this is the moment where domination slash abusive behavior hallmarks of isolating her from her friends isolating her from her family isolating her from her job like all of those things begin to fall away just a little bit
1: when does her family try to kidnap her
0: Like, chapter 18 or 19. Okay. It's part of the, like, the relaxed slash quote-unquote, and I use this term really loosely, the freedom that he gives her is the advantage that her terrible family takes to try to abduct her. Yeah. Which is, like, gross because it then plays into his whole thing about, like, I've kept you under lock and key to keep you safe, which is gross. Not true. That's why I mark, like, 10 to 16 as domination, and, like, 16 opens... The friends come to the funeral.
1: Yeah. So in part two, there aren't really sex scenes.
0: No. There are, like, titillation scenes. There's hair sniffing, which I like. And hand-holding. They mm-hmm. have several meals together. And yeah. the moments that are building in domination that are, like, not terrible are, like, her stutter disappears when she's comfortable with him.
1: Yeah. Um, but we also meet her surrogate brother.
0: hmm the gypsy cam rowan Mm -hmm. what a babe cam is a total babe also totally sad that he's not the guy in the next novel yeah it
1: doesn't become anything cam is a gypsy and sebastian st vincent is weary of his very close relationship with evie and then he does my least favorite thing in the world where he's like no it's not like that we're like brother and sister and it's like "Mm, you've thought about her naked
0: and she's thought about you naked (laughs) yeah like it's not the same. Yeah. And she has this thing on her father's deathbed where she's like, is Cam my brother? And he's like, I wish he were.
1: Is there anything else you want to say about the second act that you think people should know if they're going to talk about this at their next intellectual cocktail party? You cannot
0: love someone if you want to possess them.
1: That's just general
0: advice. I meant
1: about the plot of the book. That's what I
0: mean. Like, so we have 10 chapters of what is essentially character building, where we're supposed to see a softer side of St. Vincent. Mm -hmm. And no. We get what he sniffs her hair. He sniffs her hair and refuses to let her see her father and is super jealous of her. he's protecting her from the
1: journey. Oh my god. And
0: like refuses to let her like sit with what she thinks is her brother because he's like so irrationally jealous and she won't have sex with him because of her feelings. He
1: can tell Cam's a little half chub for her.
0: Yeah, but like fucking leave her alone. She's an adult human woman who can decide her own fucking sexual fate if she wants to. Mm-hmm. So no. My big takeaway from the second act is love is not domination. Mm. You cannot love someone that you dominate. Sure. How does a sex worker re-interview for their... (laughs) Yeah! Like, fucking capitalist nightmare. I guess they got, like, tested or something. Here's the thing that he does at the end of this where he tells all of them that if he doesn't want to deal with the brothel (laughs) aspect, so he tells them all to re-interview at, like, Madam Whatever Whatever up the street, (laughs) and then he cuts a specific deal with her where he'll send his drunk gamblers up to the brothel. Oh, he's, he's and delegating. they'll send them back after they've been ridden hard and put away wet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's gross. He's a gross person. What is that? Is that, like, horizontal integration?
1: Yeah, I think it is. Obviously, we're not business people.
0: It's not vertical integration, I don't think. It's definitely not how standard oil worked.
1: Here's one thing I know for sure. He's not incorporating his brothel and his gambling house in this romance novel in the same way Rockefeller. Or is it the same way Rockefeller? I have no exact, idea. It's what I'm saying. It's
0: not. Hey there, Womance listeners. It's Morgan. And Isabeau. And we're here to ask you personally, to
1: ask other people personally, to listen to Womance. We need your likes, we need your subscribes, and we need your... Listen. Listen. Tune in on whatever your favorite podcatcher is.
0: Do you like SoundCloud? Do you like Apple Podcasts? Do you like Tumblr? Do you like listening to us in the shower? What do you do when you listen to us in the shower? Oh, you know what you do. We're so- <laughs> so complimented. Also, when you're thinking about us and you're rating us five stars and you're liking us, are you telling your friends? Are you telling your mom? Are you telling your brother and your dude bros? Don't forget to tell people about us. Don't just keep us to yourself. Don't just hoard us
1: on your little earbuds on your Bluetooth speakers. Share us with a friend or loved one so that you can talk about us over cocktails just like we talk about you over cocktails. We talk
0: about you a lot, listeners. We think you look so pretty right now. You are so amazing. So, if you think we're amazing, like we think you're amazing, rate us five stars. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Send us an email and tell us if there's a book that you particularly want to hear gossiped over a bottle of champagne between two ladies who love each other and love talking about books. Bye!
1: Oh, my God. Chapter 16, he teaches her how to play billiards. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of bendy ovary stuff. Yeah, and holding her cue. And hair sniffing. He does sniff her hair a lot. Implied hair sniffing.
0: I'm just writing that in. I mean, here's the thing that we get with St. Vincent. He's deeply traumatized by the fact that his parents died, and he never learned how to properly love because he's only ever had male companionship that Mm. was predicated on what he could give in terms of his own wealth, prestige, and position. Mm -hmm. So his deep, dark trauma is that he can't trust. Yeah. I don't buy that. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he
1: actually has deep, dark trauma beyond just being, like, a bad person raised in a bad culture. Sure. And I guess... Yes. So now that we're talking about Ash 3, mm-hmm. Happily Ever After, I guess the point is, is like, do you buy that his deep, dark trauma is resolved? That he becomes a better person by the end of this book through his love for Evie?
0: I think like, and like, this is, this is the nestle of my problem with Lisa Cleopas in general. Uh-huh. Where it's like, I think one of the like, most subversive, most interesting things that the romance genre puts forward is this idea that love doesn't make you better. Like, love doesn't change you intrinsically you think that romance novels are arguing that love doesn't change you intrinsically no and this is this is my argument that romance novels are arguing that you want to be better because of love that you change yourself Okay, I, I guess I can see that. Yeah, but you do change. Sure, but like the, the agent acting the change isn't the other person in the relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not the hero or the heroine acting on the hero or the heroine. It is deeply internal. And okay. one of the true pleasures of romance is reading that internal change in a POV shift from mm-hmm. chapter to chapter. Mm-hmm. Lisa Kleypas does not sell me on this in this particular novel. St. Vincent doesn't want to change, really. Okay. And St. Vincent isn't changed himself. I think you can make the argument that he's changed by love, but that seems transitory and stupid. Like, nobody's changed by another person.
1: Okay, so what happens in Act 3, Happily Ever After? Her Saint Sebastian St. Vincent allows her to see her friends mm-hmm. um, during her mourning period for her father. He also comes to accept her relationship
0: with Cam. And, he buys her a couple of really pretty black dresses. Yeah,
1: for her mourning <laughs> gowns. What else happens? She's abducted, and there's a really
0: awesome whiff of death.
1: There's a really awesome... So we have two villainous actors. We have her actual
0: brother... Who has uh, kind of? I think he has syphilis, doesn't he? He like kind of like maybe he's there's something deeply wrong with him, other than the fact that he's been stealing from the gambling. Yeah, house.
1: yeah. He gets really sick, and he decides that he, he- wants to try to kill Cam
0: or Evie, mm-hmm.
1: either one of the preferred children of Ivo. That plot happens. Uh, he is prevented from his machinations by Sebastian St. Vincent who mm-hmm. saves the day. Sebastian St. Vincent and Cam team up to save her from an abduction plot by her relatives which was also orchestrated by her evil brother, secret mm-hmm. brother.
0: What about sex? I mean he's always been good at it so like the fact that he continues to be good at it isn't surprising. Let's talk about whiff of death. Sure. Because you pointed that out earlier. Mm-hmm. What, do you want to talk about the whiff of death scene? Sure. So not only do we know that she's been raised by her shitty relatives who have given her her stutter because of beatings and whatever but throughout the novel the subplot beating at the back of this is that they want her to marry her cousin. I thought you meant the part where Sebastian St. Vincent gets stabbed. Oh no I didn't mean that I meant her abduction but yeah that sure. (laughs) Yeah, I was like... I was like, I like, I literally give zero fucks, fucks about, about him. I'm like, oh yeah, he's stabbed. And he then she stabbed. takes care well, of him. Well, when
1: he's trying to like rescue, yeah. yeah. And she takes care of him. And he has like genuine like, oh shit, I'm gonna die. Yeah. Like, But like the doctor's like, he'll probably be fine unless he gets blood sickness. And he's like, oh fuck, yeah, you got- <laughs> And then
0: he gets a fever, which looks a lot like blood sickness. Yeah. And then like there's the changing of the sheets and he's sweating all the time and he's delirious. She like nurses
1: her husband just like... She she nursed her dad yeah, and like that makes him. She's them, really good at it. She's a really good nurse. Yeah. She's a caretaker. Nurturer. Yeah so that whiff of death is the hinge of their love story. Yeah it really is. So do you want to talk about that? Because you love whiff of death and you love hinges. <laughs>
0: I love whiff of death and I love hinges, which should, like, describe to you all why I think this is, like, maybe not great.
1: Why should that describe why you think it's maybe not great?
0: Because, like... Because right now it's, like, firing on all your engines. But, like, his whiff of death was so unsatisfying to me because I didn't believe his change.
1: I really bought the character's reaction to almost dying. He was like, Evie, I'll die. He was freaked out by it. He didn't like it. He was upset. You know, sure. I feel like a lot of times our heroes in novels, they like gain this clarity mm-hmm. or something that feels kind of silly whenever they encounter a real death. But Sebastian St. Vincent has a real like, oh, fuck type of thing where he really and truly believes he's going to die. And he also has this moment of not clarity, but like realization that he's He's scared to die. Yeah. And like, what has he lived for Literally that actually? Nothing. Yeah. And then he's like, Oh, but I have Evie and I have like this gambling hell. And these are the only things I'm really pleased about. And so that makes sense to me in a way that other romance novel with of deaths, don't function as well. I just like... unbelievably for me.
0: Sure, and like I think this goes back to the thing that I was saying earlier where it's like I just don't buy his turn. Like his turn feels so external rather than internal. And so like it doesn't feel as satisfying a whiff of death for me as other whiffs of death. Can
1: you explain why it seems external?
0: His engine of change is external. Like it's the way in which her love is enacting on him and like the sense of responsibility about the gambling hell and the way in which, like, he begins to feel like he needs to rise to the occasion of being a good man. Yeah. Like, all of those things feel, like, super external. Like, he doesn't seem to want them for himself.
1: I see something similar happening. Like, I think he becomes really invested in the gambling hell and making it a success because he wants to show Evie that he has other shit going on. And it's something he finds that he's good at.
0: It didn't feel like it was for Evie. And then I think... For me. And it didn't feel like it was for well, his family, wouldn't that for be, me. Well, then wouldn't that be internal? Again, it didn't feel like it was for anyone. It just so, felt like it was for show. Like in the same way that you'd buy like gold hubcaps.
1: But, but you don't do anything for show without an audience. So who's the audience?
0: It's like the undisclosed masses of whoever he's performing for. Like it didn't feel specific to Evie. No, I'm serious. Like it didn't feel specific to Evie. It didn't feel specific to himself. In the same way that like I hate Social media sometimes, where it's like, who are you performing this for?
1: Like, Stephen King writes in On Writing, you're always thinking about someone when you write. I think on Twitter, people are always thinking about, you know, maybe five followers whenever they write. I'm always thinking about like five people who I care if they like my Instagram posts. I don't think anyone puts on a show without knowing who their audience is. I think lots of people put on shows for people
0: that they don't know. And in terms of, like, I mean, like people who, who they is. don't
1: know, sure, but people who they think they know, people who they want to impress. The gambling hell becomes his locus of activity because he wants to show Evie, someone who has been so dismissive of him that she should not have dismissed him.
0: I mean, it doesn't feel particularized to Evie though. Like it also feels particularized to the friends that he's hurt. It feels like this Well, then entree. that's fine. It can be
1: all of them, but I don't think it's none of them.
0: Sure, but I feel like it's like it's so dispersed that like meaning behind it feels less impactful. Is that true
1: or do you not like Sebastian St. Vincent because he's a villain in the previous book and a very bad one, an irredeemable villain?
0: I think that's certainly part of it. Like I have a broader view of his relationship with other people because I've read the whole series. So this turn doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm.
1: It worked for me as someone who's read none of the other books. Maybe that's the difference. I do believe his turn and I believe it's motivated by external
0: factors, as you said, which are Evie.
1: But yeah, I don't have the same kind of sense of like
0: he's performing for no one slash he's performing for everyone and I think like that's been sort of like this thing about his character from the beginning like he doesn't know who his audience is slash he doesn't really care because he is just performing like I just
1: I think who is I Sebastian
0: St. Vincent
1: just performing is there like I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that concept of just performing
0: I don't know how to you with
1: that well are there other examples of this like culturally
0: that you can point out <sighs> that I could get it a whole I mean, I think there's like an argument to be had about lots of folks right now about performing for like an undisclosed no one slash everyone. Like so who? Like Just one example. Justin Bieber. What are his episodes? You don't think he's
1: he's performing for his absentee father and his ex-girlfriend <laughs> Selena Gomez? Oh my Gomez. god.
0: That's so sad. I don't know. That certainly hasn't been the thing pieces that I've been reading about him lately. But maybe like <laughs> I like and that's what I mean where it's like it's an absence of animus. I cannot conceptualize of it
1: performing for no one. Like performing without at least one Specific person, even if you don't really know them in mind. What's the point of performing if you're not trying to impress someone? And how do you know how to impress someone without knowing who you're trying to impress? I
0: think rather than thinking of it as performing for no one, it's performing for everyone. And like, I,
1: that's what I'm saying. Like, I can't think of performing for everyone because everyone might as well be no one.
0: Sure. Okay. Like, then in terms of like Downton Abbey, like, who are you performing for? Like, why do you continue to maneuver into these? Like well, I think in I in think traditional like, circles. I
1: think with class you are thinking of specific people, you're thinking about other families, you're thinking about your own family when you perform class. You're also thinking about your servants. Those are all particular people who are watching your performance and who you can watch watching your performance. But it's also like an aggregated everyone. I mean, partially, but I I don't think you go up there and do it. I don't think you get out into the world without thinking of someone in particular. Like I said before, like how do you know how to impress someone when you don't
0: know what they're impressed by? I think like that's part of the way in which this novel works. Like the ways in which he tries to impress Evie don't work because he doesn't know her. The ways that Yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. Like he's trying. He doesn't know her. And so he's always re maneuvering what he's doing.
0: Right. The way that he tries to make amends with his friends. Because he's working specifically for
1: Evie. He brings, he allows her to see her friends because he thinks that's going to impress her. He fixes the gambling den because he thinks that's going to impress her. Whenever these things fall short, he tries to do something else and in the process becomes a better person.
0: Uh, I don't know that he's a better person though.
1: Well, you can say that he's not a better person. You can say he's irredeemable. But I'm saying his motivations and his animus are Evie. It's not everyone. It's Evie.
0: Sure. I like, I think sure. But I'm like, I'm also not sure that it is. Like the way in which Evie is like an unattainable goal slash his friend's like forgiveness is an unattainable goal. Like the way in which all of this is maneuvered together. It's like It doesn't feel fully breathed in.
1: Okay, so she's doing a sloppy job? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense to me. Because it's pretty obvious in the book who his animus is. Yeah. I mean it's a romance novel yeah. and he's the hero. Yeah, but it's like his it relies too heavily
0: is... on that where it's like it doesn't it yeah, it's it's sloppy. It's like I just it's hard for me to believe it because it doesn't feel alive or breathed in. It feels tropey. Mm-hmm. It's like I can see the wax works behind it.
1: I do feel like Sebastian St. Vincent is a pretty breathed-in person by virtue of his lack of sense of self. Like he understands class performance and he understands who he's doing that performance for and Evie bucks all of that and so with his whiff of death scene he is forced to consider like what is he who is he and who does he want to be maybe that's what i think happens having said all that i still think this is a very boring book (laughs) i really liked cam's subplot with the little sister so good I Once wish Cam I found out he wasn't the novel. subject. Once I found out he was not the hero of the next novel, I, I was like, lost all interest. Yeah. Cam's great. He should have a novella. I agree. So what happens? So we have our kidnapping plot. We have our stabbing. Mm-hmm. He gets better. Mm-hmm. They have... His friends forgive him. His friends forgive him. They eventually have sex again. Mm-hmm. That's kind of it. Right. Oh. <laughs> what was your sexiest part? My sexiest part was when he's teaching her how to play pool. It has so much of my favorite things. It has implied hair smelling. It has reaching around. It has lazy smiles. All sorts of great stuff going on in that pool scene. Plus, I always have fantasies that someday I'll just become really good at pool. I'm so bad at it. I guess it's billiards. Excuse me. Crass.
0: (laughs) How could you? I thought their first sex scene was pretty good. The first sex scene where she's asleep? When she wakes up from her dream. Mm Mm-hmm. The dream was very sexy. But also the way in which, like, he continually talks about sex with her, like, throughout. Bring it up in, like, strange quiet moments like he wants to raise goose flesh on the back of her neck as like a way of both uncentering her slash like pushing her boundaries like those moments were extremely sexy he's so fucking quippy is the Mm. thing Mm -hmm. like his dialogue is fucking hot
1: he's a real he's a real villain like you know he's quippy and claypaw stayed committed to that idea of him as a villain and kind of played with the fact that that's interesting yeah and that the thing although he could not
0: carry this whole boring fucking book no kidding What was your weirdest part? What was
1: your weirdest part?
0: My rudest part was the denial of the sick room. When she first meets him in his own sitting room, she's like, the only reason I'm marrying you and giving you my money is so that I can hang out with my dad. And the first thing that happens when they get to the fucking gambling den is like, you can't fucking sit with your dad. I was like, fuck you, dude. Like, you have already reneged on like the first fucking qualification of your agreement. Fuck you. He is right. I mean, like she could catch TB from being a Sure, in that but room like if this is truly him. a marriage of convenience, like why would that matter? matter. Because he actually likes I her. Oh he does like whatever. I that was my moment where I was like, fuck you, man. Uh my weirdest
1: part was your sexiest part. I don't like that she's asleep and she's having a sex dream and then she wakes up and he's like actually Inside there. I would freak the fuck out. Yeah. That's actual rape. This yep. whole book does so much work to be like, he's not really a rapist and then like the first sex scene is rape. rape. Yeah.
0: And also the the Cam <laughs> subplot doesn't go further. It was like also vaguely racist. So woman's well, or no man's I mean, it's a no-man's for me. It's a no-man's for me. I get why people like it. I don't understand why it's a fault line in the romance industry. I think it's
1: because people like bad boys. Sure,
0: but there are plenty of bad boys. That's true. You know what I mean? There aren't like
1: a lot of quippy uh, Uncle Scar types. I think we could probably find some more. And I also, I kind of like the fact that he's a fancy man. He is a fancy man. He is a fancy man. He's known as fastidious. Mm-hmm. Like, all the stuff that would have come across as, like, cloying, mm-hmm. I imagine, in the previous book, like, ugh, gross, comes across as kind of, oh you, yeah. in this book.
0: Like, attention to detail. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you're going to read Elisa Claypass, this is not the one I recommend. Also, funny story. So I went out to uh, brunch with Jen Reed's Romance and we were going to fight because she's like, you like Devil in Winter. And I was like, no, I don't. And you like Devil in Winter. And it was all because we got confused about which gambler I was talking about. And I wasn't talking about Derek Craven, which is the gambler she loves, not St. Sebastian. But
1: she's on Twitter defending Devil and Winter all the time.
0: No, I was confused. She's constantly defending Derek Craven. But since they're plot What's wrong points, with Derek Craven? Derek Craven is almost the exact same plot point, except he's not St. Sebastian oh my god yeah so like Lisa Claypass basically just recycled one and like it created this fault line inside of romance but like you have to be so really why
1: what so why does someone who likes Derek Craven say that Craven is it's, better than Saint Sebastian he's Saint not a
0: rapist he's not a rapist and he clawed himself up from his bootstraps rather cool. than oh boy yeah Rather bootstraps. than bootstraps, bootstraps, bootstraps.
1: This guy's got bootstraps, he's broke. He just discovers... he marries
0: a woman to get her money. Yeah, that's not bootstrapping.
1: Well, <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is not bootstrapping, but he
1: also like turns the gambling hell around with his hard work with sure. the sweat of his brow. But he
0: got lots of money to back that shit up. All hers. I
1: want to talk some more about this
0: Derek Craven. We should read it. So do you like Derek Craven better than Sebastian
1: St. Vincent? It's because of bootstraps. It's
0: not because of bootstrapping. It's because he's A, not a rapist, and B, a better person, and C, I think.
1: Well, a better person is is vague. I want
0: actual reasons. Uh, I think he's not a rapist.
1: Okay. That's a good better person argument.
0: His story of trauma and recovery is more interesting to me. And I feels wonder. More hold on. Knowing what I know about Lisa Claypass, mm-hmm. however
1: limited it is, I wonder if you didn't revisit the book, mm-hmm. if you wouldn't discover that he
0: was kind
1: of a rapist.
0: I mean, I'd be willing to revisit it. I haven't read it in a while. Oh, shit. this thing just become four weeks? Oh, my God. Did it?
1: My final thoughts on Devil in Winter. Taking it as is, it's pretty boring. <laughs> Taken all together, it's worse. <laughs> Taken all together, it's offensive. With that in mind, we here at Womance feel like you are fully equipped to talk about this at any cocktail party, be it, you know, at a fundraiser for the Academy
0: or a PTA conference.
1: As ever, we remind you to loosen your stays,
0: but never your principles.
1: Mm-hmm. Mwah. Hey, folks, it's Morgan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. Our logo is by Mary Reichman, and our original music and editing is by Nick Gravelin. They're the best. Feeling woeful about waiting a whole week for more Womance? Well, chin up, buttercup. You can creep or connect with us anytime on Twitter. We're at woe underscore mance or Instagram, womance, all one word. You can also find us on Tumblr at womance.tumblr.com. If you prefer to be more direct... Why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear from you. And don't forget to tune in next
0: week.